And we see that starts to, to change a little bit. They begin to, to drift away from God and they forget the importance of worshiping God, the importance of, of trusting God and of fearing Him and of keeping His commandments. And, and so they turn from God and, and they drift away. And then God raises up an oppressive nation to, to come in and, and punish them and basically just to, to turn them back towards God. And after a while, they, they think, well, maybe we ought to go back to God. Maybe, maybe He is important. Maybe we do need to return to Him. And so they cry out to God, and, and God hears them. He remembers them, and He raises up a judge to, to come in and to, to free them from those oppressors. And then life is good for a while, and then they turn back away from God again. And it's that endless cycle in the book of Judges that, that brings us to where we are now in 1 Samuel. And we can see this, this uh, state that they're in summed up in Judges 21, verse 25. It says that there was no king in Israel at this time, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now this verse isn't talking about the fact that there was no king in Israel at the time, although there wasn't a king reigning over the Israelites at this time. But this is more talking about the fact that they did not recognize God as their king. They did not recognize God as their ruler. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. They did not look to God as the objective standard for right and wrong, for, for what was good and what was not good, but instead they looked to themselves. They looked at the subjective standard that is always changing depending on, on what they think and what they feel. And so Samuel, he's talking to the Israelites that are in this state. They are away from God. They have turned from God. And he tells them in verse 3, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. Basically what he's saying here, if he was going to say this in, in modern, modern lingo, he would say, are you guys serious about this? Are you guys serious about coming back to God? We're not just playing around here. This isn't like the other times. We're serious about coming back to God. It says, if you're serious about coming back to God with all your heart, this isn't just coming back a little bit. This isn't, well, we'll, we'll keep God as an option. This isn't, we'll keep God in reserve in case we need Him. This is returning to God with all of your heart. And he says, if you are doing that, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then remove the foreign gods from among you. Now in, in Egypt, before the Israelites came into the land of Israel, they lived in Egypt, and the land of Egypt provided for them, provided for several of their needs. The, the Nile River floods each year and brings in nutrient-rich soil and silt into the cropland. They can use the Nile River to irrigate their land. They can get fish and stuff like that from it. They were reliant upon the land. But when they come into the land of Israel, Israel becomes very much a, a testing grounds of their faith. The Jordan River, it, it floods every year, but it doesn't bring nutrients into their croplands. It doesn't fertilize their fields. It's, it's difficult to use it for irrigation purposes. They have to, instead of relying on the land, they have to rely on God for everything in the land of Israel. They have to rely on God for protection, for food, for water, for success in, in all aspects of their life. And 
it would be very tempting when things aren't going their way to, to look at their neighbor in the neighboring town and, and see the success that he has, see that his crops are coming up, that he's having high yields, that he's protected from, from his, his enemies, and to see that he's worshiping these false gods. And well, maybe, maybe that's the key to it. Maybe, maybe that's what they need to do. Maybe that's what I need to do is, is turn to these gods. That's what they would have been thinking. But you see, Samuel tells them to remove these gods from among them. He doesn't just say, stop worshiping these gods. He says, get them out. Get them away from you so that they're not even a temptation. So that when times are difficult and it looks like you're not being taken care of, you're not even tempted by those foreign gods. You're not tempted to serve those foreign gods and, and to rely on those idols. And he goes on to say that they must direct their hearts towards God. Now this is all about their focus. This is all about where their aim is, where they are pointed at. If you, uh, if you take a boat out on the water, any kind of boat, you take a kayak, a bass boat, a sailboat, anything, you take it out in the water, and if you stop rowing, if you cut the engines, if you drop the sails, that boat is going to start to drift. That boat is now at the mercy of the currents in the water. That boat is going to go wherever the water pushes it. And in the same way, the Israelites, if they are not focused on God, if they are not driven towards God, they are going to drift. They are going to be influenced by other peoples, other cultures, and everything around them is going to influence them if they are not focused on God. When they remove these foreign gods from among them, they now have a hole in their lives. They have a hole in their priorities and in their hearts. And they have to fill that hole with good, godly things. Otherwise, the evil will come back in. We look at Matthew 12, verse 44, and we see an account of a man that had a demon possession. And the demon was cast out of him, and the demon goes off, looks for a, a place to dwell, and he can't find a place, so he says, well, maybe I'll return to this other guy. So he comes back to him, and he, he finds the, the man's house empty, but it's, it's well kept. It's clean, at least. And he sees that it's empty, and there's no one in there, so he gets seven other demons, and they, they go into the man. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. You see, that man, his life looked good. It looked clean and, and well put together, but he did not fill his life with godly things once the demon left. And in the same way, the Israelites, now that they have taken these foreign gods out from among them, they have to fill their lives with God. They have to fill their lives with good, godly things. It's not enough just to, to fill their lives with things that they think are good, things that seem good in their eyes, but they have to fill their lives with God. And lastly, Samuel tells them that they have to serve God only. They have to be all about God's will and not their own. Every time I, I think about the will of God, I'm reminded of a story that one of our instructors told us. And maybe some of you have heard it, maybe some of you haven't, but this, this older gentleman, he has this piece of land, and he decides he wants to will it to his sons. And so in his will, he writes that 
If they want this land, they have to build a house up in this corner. They have to build a barn up in this corner, and they have to dig a well down on this side. And so the, the man dies, and his sons get the will, and they look at it, and they say, okay, well, let's put the house up here. Dad really knew what he was talking about when he said put the house up there. That's a great spot. So they go, and they put the house up there. And then they go to build the barn, and they say, oh, Dad knew exactly what he was saying when he said build the barn up there. That's a great place to put the barn. So they put the barn up there. And then they go to dig the well, and they say, ah, I don't know about this. That, that well's a, it's going to be a long ways away from the house. We're going to have to walk down there to get water. If we want to get water for the animals, we're going to have to walk all the way down there. Why don't we put the well right in between the house and the barn? And so they dig the well up there. How much of the Father's will did they carry out? The first time I heard that, I, I about jumped out of my seat and said, two-thirds. That's simple math. Well, in actuality, they didn't carry out any of the Father's will because what they did was dependent upon their own will. It was dependent upon where they thought the house should go, where they thought the barn should go. And they proved that by where they put the well. In the same way, Israel has to be about God's will and not their own. They cannot be, a part, be about some of God's will. They can't be about two-thirds of God's will, most of God's will. They can't be about 99.9% of God's will. They have to be about all of God's will. We already looked at this, but in, in Judges 21, 25, there was no king. They have to put God back on the throne. They have to recognize him as king in Israel. And if they put him on the throne, naturally that means they have to remove themselves from the throne. They have to humble themselves when they serve him. When I think about being humble, I, I think about uh, Moses. And in Numbers 12, verse 3, it says that Moses was the most humble man on the whole face of the earth. I always thought that that was a, a strange place to put that verse because the verse right before that is where Moses' brother and sister come in and accuse him of, of doing wrong. And then Moses writes that he's the most humble man on the whole earth. But then I realized that the reason that looks so out of place is because that verse takes the place of something that didn't happen. That verse takes the place of Moses defending himself to his brother and sister. Instead of defending himself, he just stepped back and let God defend himself. He knew that he's not on the throne, that he, his opinion does not mean anything, but it is God's opinion. It's what God says. And so he steps back and lets God judge him. And that is what made Moses humble. That's how they have to humble themselves. They have to put God back on the throne, put God back in charge. And not only do they have to serve him, but they have to serve him only. Matthew 6, 24 tells us that we can't serve two masters because we'll hate one and love the other. So if they put away these foreign gods, and if they have directed their hearts towards God, then there's only one person left to serve, and that is the God. If they have emptied their lives of, of all other gods, all other priorities, 
and they've put God on the throne, then naturally it's only God that they can serve. So what does this mean for us? Well, very simply, if, if we have sin in our lives, then we must do the same things. We must remove the foreign gods from among us. Anything that, that we rely on more than God, that's the equivalent of, of a foreign god in our lives. Anything that we look to for, for deliverance, for safety, for security, for food, for shelter, any of those things, that's, that's the same thing that they were looking to. They were looking to these foreign gods to deliver them. So any, any idols we have in our lives, anything we rely on more than God, that is a foreign god in our lives, and we have to remove them. We have to remove that temptation from our lives. We have to direct our hearts towards God. We have to focus on God and be filled with God. When we remove sin from our lives, we have to fill our lives with those godly things. And lastly, we have to serve God and serve Him only. We have to put God back on the throne. We have to let Him rule in our lives and recognize Him as King. Because frankly, He's going to get back on the throne one way or another. We can do that the hard way or the easy way. The easy way is to, to take ourselves off the throne and, and to put him back on. The hard way is to, to wait for God to, to come and remove us from the throne. And I don't think any of us here want to do that. So if we have sin in our lives, we must remove foreign gods from among us, direct our hearts towards God, and serve Him only. But luckily, we don't have to do this by ourselves. We have many wonderful brothers and sisters here that, that can help with that, that can sit there and, and struggle with you, struggle beside you, that can help you through that, that can help you do those things that need to be done to correct that sin in your life, to, to turn back to God. And if you aren't a Christian, then this whole lesson I've been talking about Christians, but this morning Billy gave a great lesson on, on what it means to, to become a Christian and how that is done, and, and I'll, I'll do my best to sum that up. Basically, you've got to hear the Word, you have to believe the Word, you have to repent of your sins, you have to confess that Jesus is the Christ, and you have to be baptized for the remission of your sins, and then you have to live faithfully. Then you have, to, you have to be on guard for those other things that can creep into your life. And so whatever your situation is, if, if you need to turn back to God, if you need to remove things from your life, and direct your attention towards God and serve Him, or if you need to become a Christian, please do so while we stand and sing for your encouragement. <clears throat>